thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show we are joined again by Linda Gripperich and we are going to discuss all things digestive health, movement and morning rituals. Hi again Linda, how are you? Hi Steph, I'm really well, how are you? Good, thank you. Glad to have you back on the show, your second episode with us here on The Real Food Reel. Yeah, I'm chuffed to be back, thanks for having me. Yeah, amazing. So our topic this morning is something that I think is a really fascinating area and I know one that you specialize in. But let's talk about digestive health first in relation to our body's ability to burn fat and how it might lead to or otherwise lead to weight gain. Yeah, okay. So as you know, I'm, you know, all about constipation and sluggish bowel movement. So I'm going to touch on on how that can really affect our weight management, so how it can lead to weight gain. So I'm going to keep it really simple, but the the key areas you've got to think about when it comes to um sluggish bowels, constipation and um weight gain is that when we don't remove toxins from the body because our body's constantly manufacturing and poop is a part of that um, we recycle those toxins which can cause you know two big things in the body which is inflammation and toxicity and I won't go into that too much because we went into that in the previous um, podcast Um, but what that does to the body that inflammation can go on to cause so many issues in regards to weight gain so for example it can really affect our appetite, because that systemic inflammation um, can, because one of the things that constipation can cause is leaky gut, which can lead to systemic inflammation because, you know, undigested food particles can pass through the um, intestinal wall, which can lead to your body having that response, that immune response, that inflammation, which is systemic inflammation. And that also can cause something like your leaky brain, which is basically inflammation of the brain, you know, permeability of that blood-brain barrier. So that systemic inflammation can affect the health of the hypothalamus, which can then go on to cause something called, you know, leptin resistance. And leptin, as I'm sure we've all heard about, is that hormone that gives us that ability to to feel full. So it's that, that satiety hormone. And so when we have that inflammation, it decreases that sensitivity to, to leptin. So that's one of the things, one of the key things that contributes to weight gain. The other thing is that it really does affect the health of our thyroid. So our poor little thyroids, not poor little thyroids, but our beautiful thyroids are really affected by toxicity. And so, again, as I spoke about with sluggish bowel movements, there is that auto-intoxication. There's that toxicity going on in the body as well as inflammation. And so, A, it's very sensitive to toxins and B, we're not clearing out hormones well when we are um, removing like poop from the body. So one of the hormones being estrogen. So when we recycle that estrogen, we have that elevated estrogen in the body, which raises um, the thyroid um, 
globulin hormone, the thyroid binding globulin, I should say, TBG. So it raises those levels and it decreases the amount of thyroid hormones we actually have available to the body. So that can lead, you know, to things like hyperthyroidism. And on the flip side of that as well, is that that low thyroid, that sort of hypothyroidism picture actually slows our transit time as well. So it can lead to constipation. It's a bit of a vicious cycle, that one. Um, but you've got to think when you when it comes to the thyroid, think that it is very sensitive to toxins and we're not clearing out um, estrogen well. Again, we're recycling that, which can lead to a whole host of problems with us utilising thyroid hormones well. And... Probably just a two other key points that I want to probably speak about here is that when we have this toxic inflamed body, because we're not eliminating well, we tend to have exhaustion. So we tend to have poor energy levels and that means poor energy levels for practical things like exercise and, you know, choosing um, appropriate foods or good nutrition to support digestion. And, you know, our digestive system and the, the digestive system function actually takes quite a bit of energy in order to function well. So, you know, when those energy levels are low in the body and those things are compromised, it does compromise our digestive system function. And the final thing I will mention here is that it really can interfere with our blood sugar in like balance. So that systemic inflammation can really lead to things like insulin resistance. So really leads to causes or interferes with the way that we sort of utilize insulin. And so that way, you know, our body sort of has that difficult time converting calories into energy and then it sort of accumulates as, as fat, particularly that sort of belly fat that we see. So those are the main ones, I guess, that I want to probably bring to your attention when it comes to um, how constipation and gut health can really affect weight. Yeah, like really beautiful summary there. I think it highlights the significance. So I know we touched on this last time, but just to sort of clarify for our listeners that might not be aware can you just talk quickly about the importance or the, the ideal frequency because I'm sure you get it in clinic as well that people have this new normal of how many times they should move their bowels and it's pretty seriously not enough oh absolutely absolutely it's um so there isn't any normal I, I guess I can say here there's only averages but I try to get people to anchor about one one time a day if not one to three is good um I rarely see someone that goes three times a day yeah but we and we also and how you're actually defecating is important too so you want to make sure that it feels complete that it's sliding out without you straining and that it's sort of just pinches off at the end rather than you having to use a bucket load of toilet paper to actually remove it from your butt, you know, like it actually, like it needs to actually slide out really easily and it needs to be well formed without food particles in there and a medium sort of brown. So once a day is a good thing to shoot for. But, you know, I see people going once every three days or once a week or, or maybe not even being aware. They just know that they don't go frequently. Yeah, and but then, as I said, it becomes their new normal. And I don't know that everyone appreciates the significance, whereas what you've just covered can re you know, really be a great reference point to understand why, if you're not moving your bowels daily, that you, it's time to do some work. 
Definitely, because, you know, what our stool is actually made up of is, you know, that metabolic waste, so the things that our body is manufacturing that it no longer needs, it takes what it needs and it needs to just get rid of stuff. Mm. But it also has the indigestible fibre and it's also made up of things like water and, and um, bacteria. So there are, it's a part of our manufacturing. It is important that we do remove these toxins, all these things that our body no longer needs yeah. daily. For sure. So what about in relation to skin health? Touch on the the importance of healthy bowel habits for optimal skin health. Yeah, this is a bit of an interesting one, actually. Um, So I'm going to keep it as as a few key points um, as well, similar to the weight gain thing. The skin, about 54% of those that have acne actually have gut dysbiosis. And so what that means is that we've just got that that imbalance in our gut flora and we want, you know, a diverse gut flora, diverse healthy gut flora. So when we have constipation, we do have dysbiosis. We've got that imbalance of um, gut flora. We generally have gut inflammation and probably a bit of leaky gut going on there too. So that altered gut flora tends to stimulate something called substance P, which is a neuropeptide that's produced in, say, the the gut, the brain and the skin. So our skin's really peppered with substance P. And um, so... The substance P, how that affects the skin is that it can it can increase the production of oil, so sebum. It can also increase the inflammation of the skin. So lots of the skin conditions that we have is, is like a, an inflammatory kind of response. And it can also increase the turnover of the skin cells. So, you know, it can lead to things like psoriasis. So 54% of people with acne actually have that gust dysbiosis going on there. Um, The other thing I will say as well is that generally those that do have acne and skin conditions tend to have a leaky gut Mm. and how they kind of can sort of recognise this is that those people tend to be more reactive to those bacterial strains that are sort of isolated from the stool, so things like E. coli and LPS, um, and leaky skin. So there is something called leaky skin, and um, what that sort of gut inflammation and and also coupled with stress, stress just sort of exacerbates this, but that sort of gut inflammation that happens from, you know, that gut to- toxicity and gut dysbiosis can really affect that antimicrobial defense system that we've got which is our skin like on our skin we've got this antimicrobial defense system and it can really disrupt that barrier which can lead to an increase in skin infection and inflammation and all that sort of stuff so those are the main connections I guess between sluggish bowel movements and skin health yeah again really beautiful summary because the treatment for these sorts of skin conditions as you know has largely been topical or superficial so this might be the first time that someone's understanding that acne is actually caused from within and can be treated from within and you probably have that experience in clinic as well Absolutely. And you know what, Steph, I mean, it all goes often a lot of our conditions just go back to improving gut health Mm -hmm. because a lot of those chronic inflammatory conditions come from that toxicity and inflammation in the body. So absolutely, people tend to panic a little bit, I guess, and use topical creams and steroids and 
you know, maybe antibiotics or whatever they've been prescribed, but they don't really look at how they can, you know, work on improving the human pipes, you know, how regular are you? Do you need to start there in order to improve the, the health of the skin? Yeah, fantastic. So moving on slightly, I wanted to ask you about the topic of bowel overflow. If you could define yeah. that for us. So start with a little bit of an explanation as to what that means to you and then is this classed as constipation? Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one actually. So essentially what bowel overflow is is fecal incontinence. So this is a form of constipation. And so just to break it down, if people have been, say, chronically constipated for a a number of years or months or, you know, they tend to have this fecal impaction, which is basically just the faeces building up on the lining of the intestines. So you get that accumulation of hardened faeces in the colon or the rectum and um, that can lead to fecal incontinence because what can happen is that the the body just liquefies the stool in order to just remove the toxins from the body and that liquefied stool passes through that narrow um, hole that, you know, in between, like in the centre of that fecal impaction in, in order to just get rid of it. So some actually mistake this as being diarrhoea, yeah. but it's actually a form of constipation that's been there for like a number of years. So how do we find that out if we're, if we're suspecting that maybe that is us? Yeah, good question. I've actually, I have a patient who has this and she's, you often see this in elderly and, um, but I have to say, I've got a younger patient who has this and I guess I would recommend for people is to, if you've got sort of disturbed bowel movements, whether it's loose bowel movements, um, whether it's, you know, um, constipation, seek some support so you can get a practitioner to do some investigative work, whether it's doing, you know, stool testing or just dissecting through your symptom picture because this particular um, patient had um, she had anal seepage. So she basically, whenever she would go on the treadmill or, you know, do some form of walking exercise, um, she would have this, you know, this, this seepage of feces from the, the rectum and it was quite gritty um, and could, she couldn't quite work out what it was. And so after going through her case a little bit and, and doing a bit of work with her, we've, we've come across, you know, that this is actual, actually long-term chronic constipation in the body's um, goal to just get rid of toxins. So, but you do often see this in elderly who kind of retain their poo because they tend to be either sedentary or they tend to tend to retain um, defecation. And so you, you see this fecal impaction quite a bit in elderly people, sadly enough. So, which just goes into why movement is so so important. But in to answer your question, people that do have disturbed bowel movements or something really unusual like that anal seepage, you're just going to seek support. Because there's things that you can you can do, and some really practical things you can do on a daily basis yourself, as well as obviously what your um, practitioner prescribes. Yeah, it's also easily diagnosed with X-rays, which is quite interesting. Like you might go to oh, yeah. a yeah. chiropractor for something completely different, although obviously connected, um, and that is often the first time that someone might learn about the impaction. Yes, absolutely. They, they, yeah, good call there. They definitely do see the impaction in X-rays. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
So interesting topic. All right, let's move on to movement. So I know this is a an area of yours that you love to speak about, very relative, uh, or very relevant to um, our audience, but perhaps they haven't had the time to think about it in relation to their bowel movement. So let's talk about exercise, movement, and how that is so important for healthy bowels. Oh, it's hugely important. I think it's, you know, just equally as important as what we consume. I think the three main areas that you've got to look at when it comes to constipation is what you consume, how you move, and how you respond to stress. And um, so movement, like just to, to set the scene, Daily moderate exercise was associated with 44% reduction in risk of constipation in women. And this was a study that was done with Hong Kong adolescents. So they tend to, um, uh, so these these women incorporated physical activity as well as just activity throughout their day. But what movement actually does is it stimulates that peristaltic movement in our intestines so that sort of pinching and you know the squeezing and which allows the the poop to push on through and get through the intestines in order to be evacuated now so definitely it exercises those intestines because that the intestines is a muscle so we do need to stimulate and exercise the that muscle it helps Again, as I mentioned, the movement of the mass through the intestines because it's a long way to go. The intestines are quite long. So you want to be able to push and squeeze and move it on through easily. And it also just improves that bowel tone. So, again, it exercises the bowel, the, the intestinal organs, which is really, really important. And uh, and on as a side note as well, the the lymph it stimulates the lymph nodes as well, which is an, a part of how we eliminate. So lymph nodes sort of carry those dead blood cells, antibodies, you know, cellular decay from the body. So it's important that we are promoting good elimination system work, you know, in our body in general. But the forms of exercise that I particularly love for improving bowel movements, and there's a few. I think any movement is really, really important. Um, but, you know, anything that sort of works that the abdomen and the spine is really supportive to bowel tone. So it really keeps the intestines in its proper place and really, again, exercises the intestines and, and promotes and stimulates that peristalsis. So, um, uh, and there's so many abdominal and spine exercises that are out there in the way of sports, things like, um, you know, running or, you know, walking or cycling, even swimming, dancing, yoga. I absolutely love yoga. Yoga is fantastic. And um, as you know, I'm a big yin yoga fan. But the reason why I love yin yoga in particular for constipation is that it does so many things. It really works on improving the health of the organs of digestion. So you can focus on working on the lungs and the large intestine. So they sort of are partner organs. Um, you can also, you know, you, you, it's it's someone's form of meditation too. So for me, mm. sitting in a yin posture for five minutes is much easier for my mind than trying to sit in, say, 20 minutes of a meditation. Yeah. 
And that's, mm. Yeah, and that's the case for a lot of people and it just feels good for me anyways. Sometimes it's obviously quite tender but it really stimulates these organs into life and nourishes these organs into life and it gives you that stillness, as I mentioned. Um, what other forms of exercise there are so many. There are so many. Um, but mild to moderate is what you sort of want to aim for. Mild to moderate, moderate intensity exercises are great for constipation. It doesn't need to be too hard. It doesn't need to be really, really vigorous. Um, yeah, those are the main ones. But the particular, if, if you're familiar with yin yoga, the, the particular postures that I love, if I'm feeling like my um, movements are quite sluggish for that day is seal or sphinx. And I've got this on my website too. So seal or sphinx is just really opening up the stomach and the spleen. Yeah, those right. prime, prime, Yeah, those spines. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love it. But also important if you've been seated for the entire day at work or in just in general, it really just opens up that abdomen or if you've been seated in, seated in a car for a number of hours. Mm. Um and, yeah, twisted roots, obviously, so any sort of seated twist, and you can get that in all forms of yoga, um, twisted roots, which is a very similar thing, and caterpillar, which is basically a forward fold. And so, again, you're just opening up through the spine, but you're really just compressing the abdominal organs and just sort of um, stimulating those back into life again, nourishing yeah. those. Interesting. I really love that. It's a great, great concept. Yeah. Now, I wanted to – sorry, go on. No, no, that, that's um, they are the main ones that I want to run yeah, through. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. We'll link up um, a little bit more information from your site as well because I'm sure um, that will be interesting to lots of our listeners. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about morning rituals actually. This is something that I've been experimenting with personally uh, more recently. So I believe you yeah. define it as miracle morning. So yeah. <laughs> tell us what that means and, you know, perhaps what you do and some ideas for our listeners. Yeah. Have you heard of El Halbron's book, The Miracle Morning? No, I haven't read that one. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. And he's got an amazing story, but he talks about something called the miracle morning. And, you know, lots of us have a morning ritual, mm -hmm. but he has, you know, say an hour morning ritual where he kind of has collected all these things that really successful people have done or inspiring people have done in their morning and created, you know, um, this is what you could potentially do to create a miracle day, miracle morning. So what I do, I love morning rituals. I think for me in particular, I've spoken about this in the previous podcast, but everyone has different drivers to sluggish bowels and constipation. For me, it's always been stress-related and it's always been if I've just been on the go and I've not just really set up my day with a bit of calm to start with. Um, so for me, the morning ritual is really important and it usually looks like I get up in the morning, I get up quite early, I have to say. I've always been a bit of an early bird. So generally around 5 a.m. I get up and it doesn't need to take long. I have to preempt this by saying it doesn't need to take long. My morning ritual is probably about 30 or 40 minutes long. You can go longer if you like. I know my partner certainly loves a long one-hour stint in the morning, but I do either a 15-minute guided meditation um, or I do some form of breath work. So the forms of guided meditation that I use is um, I've got the Muse headband. Have you heard of the Muse yes. headband? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I find that to be really useful for the busy mind like myself because every single time your mind wanders, you hear, you hear um, the noise get louder. So say, for example, I've requested that I want to listen to a guided 
meditation on on the rainforest, then there'll be like these loud, stormy sort of sounds if my mind starts to really wander. And so it reminds me to just keep bringing it back to some a focal point, mm-hmm. which I love. And when you get to that point of that you are in that focal point, you hear a bird chirping, so you know you're there. It's really kind of motivating. And sometimes you have no idea that the mind is wandering until you hear it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other things, obviously, there's headspace for guided meditation, but the newer one that I've discovered it's probably been around for quite a while um but i recommend insight timer to a lot of my patients because patients because it's fantastic it's got guided meditations with all different lengths it's got chanting all this sort of stuff if you're into it um but you know other forms of meditations are you know your dr joe dispenser has got a bucket load of um, meditations out there if you want something a little bit longer he's got you 45 minutes or an hour mm. um or i do breath work so the breath work, the breath work techniques that I tend to tap into are generally either breath of fire, and that's just that panting um, sort of breath work that you do that, that you do in Kundalini. So it's like that, and that really supports the diaphragm and the organs of di- digestive function. So really, really important for digestive system function. That sort of breath work or breath in general. There's also other different types like the Wim Hof technique, which I occasionally do or alternate nostril breathing. But for me at the moment, it's breath of fire. Um, And then I actually move into, which is a bit odd, but (laughs) I move into something called the Maya abdominal massage therapy technique. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Mm. Yes. So that is fantastic. But the reasons why I tapped into that was to really support reproductive health, but it's so fantastic for relieving congestion and blockages and it improves that flow of, say, energy, otherwise known as chi, in that sort of area, um, digestive system function area and the circulatory system. So um, it really guides the the internal abdominal organs into their proper position as well as well as the uterus. So I do maybe about five minutes of a massage. I originally went to see someone um, who does this for her work. So she spent an hour doing this massage on me and then gave me a bit of homework, which I then just do, you know, on a daily basis, which is fantastic. Um, and I really believe that that supports um, probably be great for those people that have fecal impaction mm. because you are really massaging the intestines. And so you're probably starting to to liberate um, the the stagnant sort of stool that's sat in the intestines. So you're probably breaking up a bit of that biofilm as well. So um, that my abdominal massage therapy is awesome. Um, and then it sounds like a lot, but it's actually not. This goes by really fast. Uh, the gratitude practice as well. I find that, um, you know, just saying three things that I'm grateful for. But the big key thing for me is that I um, tend to mention at least one or two things that, I don't exactly have yet, but I want to create or embody. So just getting to that that state of mindset of that I've actually already achieved this or have this and be grateful for it already. And I feel like that for me has been a complete game changer. And, um, yeah, I know that gratitude practice has been bandied about, but I honestly feel like it's the simplest thing that we can do to really, you know, move, um, move and shake our world, I guess. And then move on to some form of movement, whether it's, you know, yoga or walking or running or, you know, swimming or whatever it might be. 
the newest thing that I've added to this, and this has just been because of the Miracle Morning book, is that I've started to read 10 pages of a book every single morning because I don't know about you, but I really struggle to to read. It's always got to be an audio book because the day just gets really busy and the best intentions are there. But by the time I get to bed, you know, I'm either knocked out or we listen to a podcast or a YouTube clip or whatever it might be, um, and I rarely read. And so I find that I, by reading those 10 pages in the morning, I know that it's going to be done. I really look forward to it. And it's generally like a self-development book of, of some sort. So that's also been a big game changer for me, you know, at the moment. So that's a very long-winded answer to your question about my morning ritual, but it literally only takes me 30 to 40 minutes without the exercise, of course. But, um, yeah, it's, it really sets me up for a day of um, a better day to, well, a day that I could actually respond to stress better mm. and it just really gives my body that time to manufacture. So that gives the bowels enough time to, to do what it needs to do, manufacture and defecate and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, look, I think that's amazing and there's so many different ways to go about it. Like we, Absolutely. My, yeah, my fiancé and I call it the 5am club, um, but, you know, it can be. What does yours look like? Yeah, so we've been doing a little bit of goal setting together. So we choose five things that we're going to focus on for the day um, and it can be, you know, business or personal and we just have a little brainstorm about that together, which is really nice. Um, yeah. It also, for me or for us, it um, most of the time forces us to have a really good nighttime routine as well because if you know the alarm's going off at five, <laughs> then, yes. you know, you want to obviously make sure that you get enough sleep. So. It's sort of working on both ends of the day, which we speak about a lot from that stress management point that you and I speak about. But, you know, I think you can really fall into that trap of letting your day run you. You know, you're on social media or you're on your emails and then, you know, your day starts with work essentially or definitely. You know, that, that you forget to prioritise yourself, which, you know, I put my hand up, I'm definitely guilty of doing. Likewise. <sighs> Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. And it really just, you know, I find myself at the computer really early in the morning. So it really takes a lot of practice and commitment and diligence to, to prioritise this time for yourself in the morning and know that the, you know, the work will always be there. In fact, if you start earlier, there's just going to be more work for you to do because you know you can do it, you know. Yeah, I think getting so, that morning routine down pat, like, you it, you know, I give myself a high five because I totally feel like, you know, I'm nailing life and it's only 5 a.m. It's a really good way yes. to start the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Awesome. All right, a couple of um, final questions for you, Linda. I wanted to um, actually hear your thoughts on colon hydrotherapy. Like, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us what that is first, but then what are your thoughts on that for bowel health? Yeah, so most people either know it as colonics or yeah. colon hydrotherapy, but, yeah, it's – look, I think it has its place, certainly. Mm. What happens with colon hydrotherapy is basically it's, it's um, it, it hydrates the body, so it puts water into the bowel and triggers that behaviour of the bowel, that peristaltic action, in order to, to remove poop from the colon. Now, I think where it has its place – is if there has been long-term chronic constipation and you've been working with a practitioner on improving bowel movements and you are improving bowel movements, but there is 
um, that that kind of residue and probably a bit of biofilm in there as well. So you it kind of uh, colonics can break up that biofilm and that fecal impaction. So I think it would have its place in with fecal long term fecal impaction and chronic constipation. Where I would say what I would say here is that the danger is when people start to use something like colonics as a very regular thing and lots of people do, like they do laxatives. Yeah. And so what I will say with colonics is say if you were to do it annually and you were to do have a session of maybe six visits, I think three to six visits, because I think it, you don't start to remove the old stuff until maybe the third visit apparently. Mm. So, And if you were working with a good practitioner, generally the good colon hydrotherapist would say, okay, now I don't want to see you for a year or I don't want to see you for six months or whatever it might be. So I think it has, it does have its place. It does exercise and clean the colon. Um I have a big problem again with with people just using it as a as a bit of a crutch because it does make the bowels le- um, lazy. Lazy, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And then you're really, really going to struggle in order to 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 go. And so you are probably going to get fecal impaction long term because your body's not able to actually go naturally. So. I would recommend go and see a practitioner, get their get their advice on whether you should do it or not. Um, start with the fundamental stuff to really help move the bowels, and that's obviously nutrition, it's movement, it's how you're responding to stress. And then if the, if the bowels, if you still feel like you're getting incomplete emptying and something's just not quite right there or you've had long-term chronic constipation, then your practitioner may advise, okay, I just want you to do maybe three sessions of a colonic and we're going to stop it here and I don't want you to do it again for two years or one year or whatever it might be. Um, So that would be my recommendation with the colonics. And, again, just reiterating the the fact is it is no different to a laxative in that your bowels will become lazy and you're really going to disrupt your good flora if you tend to do it regularly. And I mean like every week or every second week for the entire year. That's a big no-no in my mind. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think certainly yearly is a great strategy. Um, but yeah. obviously it's, a, um, you know, some of the centres either don't have time or aren't skilled to educate on gut health. So there yeah. isn't that sort of replenishment goal afterwards, which is another concern of mine, that you obviously want to make sure that you're inoculating with the beneficial bacteria. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, there's some places in Sydney, um, originally from Sydney, that have uh, naturopaths actually doing the uh, doing colon hydrotherapy. And so they are very aware of how they can support the bowels, but they may be far and few between mm. in the different states. But certainly that you can find them. I would, I would hope that you do your research and find a good um, colon clinic and, again, speak to your practitioner before you make that decision. I think there's other things you can try before you go down those routes. Yeah, for sure. So on that then, what um, what do you recommend from a herbal point of view to support bowel health? From herbs, like yes. supplementation-wise? Mm. Um, uh, look, there's – there's uh, depends on what's driving it, Steph. I think yeah. there's – you know, like if, if someone's got like an overgrowth of bacteria in the gut or they're, you know, a pathogen of some sort, then I absolutely love the herb berberine. I think, um, you know, it's antimicrobial, but not only that, it's it's fantastic in that it really cuts through the biofilms of bacteria which and, and kills off the, those persister cells that just sort of tend to hang around and recolonize. So I love berberine, but, again, I would only probably use it if I knew that there, there was a need for it. Um, 
nutritional wise, magnesium, I'm a massive fan of. I think it really helps to support um, bowel motions, but it certainly supports the nervous system. So if your um, constipation is very much triggered by stress and, you know, depression and whatever it might be, um, magnesium uh, would be the go here. And the added benefit of mag- magnesium, um, and I like to use the bisglycinate form, which is just well absorbed by the body but and, and utilised by the body, but low levels of magnesium in the brain actually um, reduces serotonin. And so, yes, we know that to be the, you know, the feel-good hormone, but serotonin is also really important for digestive system function. It's really important for that peristaltic action, that pinching and squeezing and pushing of the poop through the colon. So another reason that magnesium can really support you. Um, Other than that, things like zinc and glutamine sort of on and off, I think if that really supports the breakdown of food, so it supports, you know, that enzymatic production, Um, it supports our detox pathways, it supports the integrity of the gut lining, so it helps to prevent things like leaky gut. Um, those would be the main ones. And other than that, fish oil, so really good quality fish oil as well. Again, that supports um, bowel movements. It also supports the production of serotonin, um, brain health, again, if that's a, a trigger for you and your constipation. Yeah, and definitely, obviously, food. Food, you know, is a huge thing. Water, fibre, we need both forms of fibre, insoluble, soluble. I could go on. Not having to, not having gluten, that would be a big thing, I would say. Do not have gluten if you are constipated. You're, not, you're giving your body a bit of a hurdle that it doesn't need. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic summary. It's been great to chat with you about this topic. Um, I'd love for our listeners to head to the show notes to obviously check out your website and I'll put all of the resources that we've covered today in those show notes. So make sure you do that team. And Linda, it's been great to chat with you again. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for having me on again. Pleasure. We'll chat to you again soon. Beautiful. Have a nice afternoon. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.